Yeah, so welcome. As, as I said before, um, we are continuing our body series today by looking at fasting, um, which is something that definitely can impact our bodies. Now, uh, so why fasting? Um, I guess it's been something I've been thinking about for a long time. It wasn't really part of my life growing up, um, not my kind of secular or spiritual life. But um, since the early 2000s, I've had kind of, you know, friends doing long cleansing fasts. And um, so that's sort of, I think, what introduced it to my life. Um, and then um, I guess having more to do with like Muslim friends um, going through Ramadan and, and thinking about whether I might, I'd like to do it one day. Uh, and that made me think more about the place of fasting in my own faith tradition since it is in the Bible. Um, and more recently, uh, the whole intermittent fasting thing, which has become such a, a fad um, and something that I've started doing myself, both for kind of health and mindfulness reasons. Uh, so, yeah, fasting is, uh, yeah, it's just a thing for me that I've been thinking a lot about. And then a few weeks ago, I heard a theologian describe our experience of lockdown in this pandemic as a form of involuntary social fasting. <laughs> um, so that means that all of us, whether we like it or not, are currently in an experience of fasting, not fasting from food, but fasting from kind of contact with other people, physical contact, social contact, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. That's why. That's why we're going to have a little look at fasting. Um, why I'm interested in why people have done it. If you've done it in the past, um, interested in talking a little bit about why ancient people fasted, um, what benefits they saw in fasting, uh, and how these things might help us to redeem or reframe the the global social fast that we are going through right now. Um, not completely redeemed, but maybe redeem it in, in some small and subtle ways. Um, so um, I'm gonna ask you in a minute whether any of you fast in any way, um, whether from food or from anything else. Uh, that could be a constant thing. It could be something you do during Lent or something you do occasionally. Um, while you're thinking about it, I'm just going to read. So I, um, I messaged my friend Sanam today because originally the plan was that I was going to interview her about Ramadan um, and her experience of Ramadan. But I just messaged her today to say, you know, in a few sentences, what does Ramadan mean to you? So I'll read that out now while you're thinking about your own experience of fasting, if you have any, and um, yeah, why you've done it and what it has um, what the effects have been, what it's meant to you, that kind of thing. Um, so this is, this is Sanam. Um, as for Ramadan, for me, it is the one month in the year I really look forward to. I just feel very centred and organised in Ramadan. There is a routine with food and prayers and somehow everything works around it. And because you really can't shift the time of things around, it's like there's order in life for that one month. Um, she says, fasting also really suits me. I have realised through Ramadan that my body works well with long intervals without food, 
I feel more energetic, more focused on other things, also because I'm not thinking about the next meal all the time and we pretty much have some staples we stick to. Um, that's her and her partner, Atik. Um, it also helps my digestion process. I feel lighter and more alert and more willing to exercise. I'm used to drinking a lot of water, so there are times as the day progresses when that gets to me, um, but not for Atik, her partner, because he doesn't usually drink a lot of water anyway. <laughs> So for those that don't know, with Ramadan, it's not just a food fast, but you're not meant to drink water as well. And if you're really strict, you're not actually meant to swallow um, during the day. Um, the other thing that she said in another comment was, um, one more thing is that we, her and Atik, always end Ramadan with the intention of fasting more because it works so well, but that's been up and down. So we follow a practice of, um, of our prophet of fasting two days in the week, Mondays and Thursdays, and I've found this really helps. It's like the modern 5-2 diet. So there you go. Muhammad was a groundbreaker when it comes to um, healthy diet, healthy fasting. <laughs> uh, cool. So that's, that's Sanam. Does anyone else have any uh, experiences of fasting that they want to tell us about? Uh, what they fasted from and why, what the effects were? Um, for me, like I've had a, a, a kind of faith-informed experience, experiences of fasting and then a totally separate and, and possibly to this group less interesting kind of more health-informed uh, experiences of fasting. But I'm um, Greek background and a really, like fasting is a really big thing in the, Greek Orthodox community, um, essentially, you know, the 40 days of Lent, you go on a vegan fast. Um, and um, not, that that my, not that my family was overly religious, but, but, but it's probably been perhaps the only or the main, main thing of that tradition that I've kept. And there's something about um, fasting for me I mean, my weakness is sugar. That, that's my weakness. And, you know, when I get the crave, um, during that Lent period, every time I could get past that crave and not go off and buy a block of chocolate, kind of felt like I'd just made a, a yes decision for God. And, and I know that might sound a bit silly, but there was something about, yeah, just the discipline of it. and. Um, and, and the empowerment of it, you know, that, that yeah, that, that felt really, it, it, it felt quite legitimate to me. It felt like, yeah, I'm making a yes decision for God. Um, that, 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 that was helpful, you know, that had a place in my life. Thanks, George. The second thing I wanted to just, get us to reflect on maybe i'll just put these questions out there and then we'll read the passages and then we can talk about them later on um so i'll give us a chance to think but um i'm just interested to reflect on where the practice of fasting might have come from um why why it kind of appeared in pretty much all the major religions um so it's it's just an intriguing question for me i've done a little bit of reading about it but um yeah you might have your own thoughts um, but while you reflect on those let's 
just quickly read the two passages for for today that I put into the weekly note. I'll put them into the chat so you can see them. So the first is Matthew 6, 16 to 18. Maybe we'll just start by reading this one and then we can chat about it and then we'll look at the other one later on. Um, so I'll just read it and then you can say anything that you notice about it, anything that you wonder about it, and whether it prompts any thoughts or for you about those questions of why. Why did ancient peoples fast? Why is it part of pretty much all the major religions? Um, so Jesus said, when you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do. Um, as I said in my weekly note, apparently in Jesus' day, this word that's translated as hypocrite actually meant a kind of public performer, like a public interpreter of texts or an actor on a stage. So when it's used as a term of abuse, it doesn't mean what we understand hypocrite to mean, but it means more someone that puts on a, a performance to impress or deceive other people. So it's more like what we would use the word charlatan for, perhaps. Um, so do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to Abba God, who is unseen. And your Abba God, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So any Anything you notice there? Any things you wonder about that passage? Does it speak to um, why we might fast at all? I, th I think for me, um, yeah, like it, it really, to the extent that I'm a hypocrite, you know, to the extent to which I've done things in faith circles with ego and a show of equality, Fasting, um, fasting feels invisible. You, you, you know, like it's an internal struggle and sacrifice that no, you're not getting any external kudos or praise or or, or, or noticing on. Um, um, it, it, yeah, it, it for me it really cuts through. Um, mm. Yeah. It made this passage, and actually the whole of this chapter of Matthew, it's Jesus sort of saying, talking about lots of different practices and saying the same thing, just don't do it for other people, um, do it in secret. And it, it feels like a whole kind of critique of virtue signalling, really, <laughs> this idea of um, appearing, like curating a virtuous surface on social media um, that doesn't necessarily correspond to anything at depth. Um, and so that, yeah, that, it, it's, that parallel really struck me um, and thinking about yeah, the reason why we, we might do any kinds of spiritual practices. Is it really for um, some kind of deeper connection with God or whatever, or is it, is it just part of, um, yeah, virtue signaling, which I think is something that we've... <laughs> As a community, we've tried to avoid, but we've almost made a virtue of not virtue signaling, saying, I don't do anything <laughs> spiritual. So there. Yeah. Any other thoughts or uh, things you notice? 
Did anyone have any thoughts about those questions? I, I can share a couple of the things that I thought of, but um, the question of where fasting comes from, why it is so common in religions. Like, um, I mean, obviously some of the things that George has said would be a part of it, that it's, um, yeah, that experience of um, letting go of certain things so that you can kind of be, be perhaps more focused um, on, um, on your faith or whatever it might be. Did anyone else have any other thoughts on why people have fasted in ancient cultures and religions? Could you repost the questions? So they just yeah, sure. Up in my chat, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so where did the practice of fasting come from? Why do we think we find fasting in pretty much all the major religions? Um, and, you know, be as personal as you like about it in terms of your own experience or... Um, I guess I don't, I don't necessarily think that all of the reasons are necessarily good or healthy. Um, I think there's, there's been in many ancient cultures a very strongly body-denying dimension. Um, so that idea, if you may have come across the idea of the mortification of the flesh um, that within, I, I guess, a kind of Greek-influenced religion, the flesh is, is kind of evil or it's kind of inhibiting our spirituality. And so if we treat it mean, um, then it, um, we're keeping it under control and we're stopping it from its negative influences. So I think a lot of those kind of uh, practices like fasting can come from a really negative place of, of punishing our bodies, um, which I think is really unhealthy. Um, but I don't think they're the only reasons. Um, anyone got any thoughts or do you want me just to? roll through mine yeah i just like i, I quite like to think about like um in, in terms of having us pay attention um scott mcknight who's a author talks a lot about like um fasting in terms of bringing your body in line with what your spirit or soul um desires or is, or is experiencing and that fasting is a way of kind of like jolting a rhythm and a routine to help you pay attention to um, what it is that the rest of you is trying to do. Um, because whenever you, you know, um, whenever you feel that hunger or whenever you realise you're not eating or when you're doing something other than preparing food, which, you know, in lots of cultures and societies takes enormous amounts of time um, that you're free to pay attention to and, and kind of, I guess, nudged constantly about um, what it is that you really desire and what it is you're seeking to bring both the, to the attention of God but also the attention of your own body. Like, mm. Mm. It's a bit like that Maslow's hierarchy of needs thing, whereas if, if you sort of um, put less focus on kind of basic needs, then it, it opens up space for you to reflect on other needs that, you want to meet or that aren't being met. Yeah. I've always just tied it in with, I guess, ideas around Lent, like this idea of, um, yeah, yeah, like making a personal sacrifice for God as a statement of your faith. Mm. Um, yeah, I've always put it in that sort of bag. Yeah. 
And certainly I think with Ramadan, that's, that's um, you know, I think for a lot of Muslims, there's that sense that it's to focus on the plight of those whose fasting is not chosen, but is because of their difficult circumstances. And so there is that real um, focus on others, focus on God dimension, I think, in a lot of fasting. Yeah. Any other thoughts? I just wanted to name, I think, something like a um, discomfort that's coming up for me is like remembering all the sort of church contexts where fasting and the sort of spiritualized dimension of fasting was used to reward disordered eating. Mm. Um, and in like youth groups of young women, especially where that was so prevalent um, and the sort of lasting wounds I have from that and I feel like many people who grew up in church contexts have from that. Um, so yeah, I just I guess I just wanted to name that as a explicit mm. thing. So that's in in there as well. Yeah. And I might jump in just quickly on that, Annika, as well. I know for myself, just with such a long history of eating issues, food and restriction of food is so tainted and so layered. Um that I, it's like the, a big wound that I'm very, always very careful not to pick at. Um, and so for me, I've been, any fasting has intentionally never been around food because mm. that's my wound. Um, and for some, f- food can be used and, you know, in those kind of, for, but for me, I actually don't know if I can ever redeem restriction of food for a purpose I, I'm, that's a question mark. You know, I may, mm. for me, it may, yeah, but I, I, I've always just found other things because, yeah, that's not life-giving, I find. It doesn't lead to clarity. It, do, it leads to just that capacity within me to switch into the negative, like you were saying, um, and the destructive side of, mm. of deprivation. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious if that can be if we'll ever change for me. And so maybe for Annika also, like, there's just the, a community of people where fasting has to be creatively reinvented with mm. life, things that can be life-giving um, rather than perhaps food. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very important things. Thank you for sharing those, yeah. Uh, and I do think, it. I mean, those points are such a wonderful invitation to um, opening up our sense of what, fasting is and what it can be and that's what that comment about COVID being this involuntary social fast that did that to me to go um, fasting can be so many different things and yeah if we narrow it down to food then uh, we are both putting people that have complicated relationships with food historically at risk but we're also um, losing so much of the potential there to apply it in healthy ways to other aspects of life and that's where I think things like social media fasts um, and fasting from other things that rather than creating psychological turmoil actually really do open up space for other kind of healthy reflections is yeah it's just a, um, a much more potentially fruitful way of reflecting on fasting um, and um, well, perhaps I'm sure people have a few more thoughts on that, but perhaps that would be a good time to look at the second passage because in some ways the second passage is doing the same kind of thing. It's like a critique 
of a narrow and destructive vision of fasting. Um, um, so maybe we'll just quickly read this together and then see if anyone has any final thoughts before we move to communion. Um, but yeah, thanks, Annika. Thanks, Tamsin, for that. Um, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humiliate themselves? Is it only for hanging their heads like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to Yahweh? On the contrary, this is the kind of fasting that pleases me. Remove the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. Let those who are oppressed go free and break every yoke you see. Share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, clothe them and don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of Yahweh will be your rear guard. Then you will call and Yahweh will answer. You will cry for help and God will say, I am here. So any, any other observations or questions, um, either from what other people have said or from this passage, uh, I just love the way that this passage completely cracks open this category of fasting um, and sees it as, you know, anything, anything that um, moves society towards justice and, and freedom. Um, and it does, even at we, you know, whether we're thinking at an individual level or a church level or a whole society world level, um, to think of fasting as something that opens up the possibility of, of freedom um, yeah, can really reframe the perhaps oppressive or performative or destructive relationships with things like fasting that we had in the past. Um, anyway, I'll open it up to you just one more time. Any other thoughts or reflections? Um, this reminds me of like when I was like going to youth group in my teens and it was like a very common thing for people to do the 40-hour famine and it was like if you did it it was a really cool um and like you were really cool for doing it and then people would always like be like oh my god my sister was making chocolate cake and I couldn't eat it it's so sad and just like as an adult kind of reflecting on that feeling like it's not actually really helping anyone just to kind of be in this kind of self-sacrificing kind of state and I never did it and kind of never yeah never felt very appealing to me to do because it just didn't have any kind of me it didn't feel like it had any meaning behind it mm. yeah thanks Percy yeah I'm gonna add, like add on to similar thing of 40-hour famine because that's what I've been thinking about since the first question you asked um I actually did the 40-hour famine every year from grade one where you start just doing a short stint all the way up until I was like 20. I didn't I didn't miss a year um, because it was just something my mum had done and it was something that was handed down to me and I did it because of that justice streak I had within me of, well, if I if this is how I raise money for people who need help, then I'm going to do this even though it sucks. 
Um, but at the same time, I, I kind of like it's tainted what my view of fasting, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, like I grew up in an Anglican church where fasting wasn't really a thing, but we always did the 40-hour famine. And then I shifted to a Baptist church where it was fasting was this big spiritual thing that um, was only for you and God. And um, but if you did it, you were really good, but you shouldn't you shouldn't act like you're really good because then that's bad as well. Um, so I kind of it's yeah, I don't know. I, I struggle. I'm very skeptical of fasting. Mm. Very, very skeptical because I think all the exposure I've had to it has been this very whitewashed, privileged, um, sort of approach of either you do it so you can raise money for people because you're better off than them and we've got to help them or you do it because you want to be better than the rest of the Christians around you. But you don't say that. Mm. You just talk about how you feel closer to God. But you also can't talk about how it's a struggle because if you talk about how it's a struggle, then you're not as righteous as everyone else around you who's pretending that they're perfectly fine. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I really, really struggle with the concept of fasting, mm. um, especially around food. Yeah. Um, I think the only year that I ever felt any benefit from fasting was one year, I think it was the last year I did the 40-hour famine. Um, I didn't do only food. I also did no shoes and I did no talking for mm. 40 hours. Um, and the food and the shoes thing, super easy like i'd by this point i was trained once a year don't eat for 40 hours it's not a big deal i know how to distract myself shoes thing don't really wear shoes that much it is what it is it was just more about how people were perceiving me in public that i had to kind of move past that but the no talking and losing that form of connecting with other humans for 40 hours even though i could you know write on a notepad or nod my head it there was something really um, there was something really impacting about that because it almost like it put me in a place of less connection to others, mm. but it meant that I had space to think about my own mm. being and relationship with God in a different way, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 40 hour famine plus evangelical church has really, really tainted yeah fasting for me um and i actually just even that verse where it sort of cracks it open i'm just like i still i still don't know how to how do you approach this in a healthy way if that mm. makes sense yeah yeah i think one thing that's come out of this conversation generally is that there's a real art in um and yeah it requires insight to sort of go where where is a place that i can um have some form of fasting where it's going to be healthy for me rather than unhealthy. Um, I, I love the fact that with Ramadan, it's a community thing rather than an individual thing. Like as Christians, we have this incredible, Western Christians, this incredible capacity to turn everything into an individual competition, but the idea of a community doing things together. Um, but what you said just then, Tian, about 
um, silence, um, this kind of communication fasting, I think it, it just brings us, and this is perhaps where we can finish, back to that question we started with of this involuntary social fast that we're all going through together. Um, and it is, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think how can we redeem this experience in some ways, not in some kind of ridiculous, sentimentalized way, acknowledging how incredibly difficult and painful this experience is. But it did, it did make me think, are there ways in which we can think of this unchosen fast of social contact and communication in a way that frames it as a fast, um, as a, uh, an experience that um, something can be learned from. And maybe that's only something that we can answer down the track. Um, but it did make me think that um, there may be ways in which this experience enables us to, to reconnect with um, time with others in a way that um, values it more highly, that um, is more intentional, um, where that the joy of touch, um, the joy of presence, we just relish it more. Um, and I hope that, that that lasts for a while, you know, so often that those, those experiences dissipate very quickly, but if maybe it's something as a community, we can cultivate um, some practices that help us stay in touch with the joy of um, literally being in touch with each other again uh, in, a, in an extended way rather than that dissipating quickly. Um, there's a whole conversation about um, social media in the way that in some ways this fast from real contact has created this gorging of really unhealthy fast food communication through social media, but let's not go there. Um, so I'm conscious of the time. It's after 12. Um, we might move to communion, but obviously if you want to stick around after we finish and if you have more things to share then that would be wonderful um if you have other thoughts during the week that you want to share um i recognize as is so often the case with these things that we're really just opening it up a tiny bit and there's so much more that could be said uh and so i hope that the way that we've opened things up has been more helpful than um confusing or triggering um but it is perhaps something that we can continue to reflect on as we continue in this involuntary fast um, uh, so as always, hopefully you have a little something to eat and drink um, for communion. Perhaps our focus as we have communion this week can be on um, those that are suffering most in this experience of involuntary fasting. You know, for someone like me that has my immediate family with me, that is a very different experience from people that are living on their own, for people who are a very long way from their loved ones and haven't had the chance to, to hug or touch um, people that are very close to them for a very long time. So I guess that I would like that to be our, our focus as we eat and drink um, and as we reflect on Jesus' death being God standing with the forsaken and standing with the suffering, let's reflect on those for whom this um, these lockdowns and this pandemic is um, a particularly deep, form of forsakenness and, and suffering. So let's eat and drink. I'm gonna just finish with a prayer and then if you need to go, you can go. And if you wanna stick around for a little chat, you can. Um, 
loving God, there are so many things in this world, even in this world of lockdown, that um, that consume our attention and our focus. And I pray that you might help us to be people who are, um, I guess, aware of where our attention is going and that you might help us to become more intentional about our attention and our focus, that it might be on love and justice and about kind of redeeming this world um, and that you might help us to be aware of the ways in which um, our attention is being kind of dissipated and the ways that we can can redirect it. Um, and if that's all that fasting is for us, um, then that could be a good thing for you and for others and for your kingdom. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I